the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Tonight we start the, <coughs> um, the Holy Bescha week, and there are many, sometimes we'll hear um, different words uh, or names for this week. Sometimes we will refer to it as Bescha week or Passion week or Passover week, and um, maybe the more accurate term for this week would be Pascha week, which comes from the Hebrew word, derived from the Hebrew word that means specifically to pass over or to, um, to pass by. Um, speaking about a passageway. And so an example would be that the Israelites passed through the Red Sea. There was a passage through the Red Sea that was made available or made open for the Israelites to pass through. And when we think about this week, we can, there are many things happening. We are reflecting on past events. Uh, we are, um, we have the church set up in a way that it's very black and dark and it's solemn and it's sad. And sometimes we are looking towards simply the crucifixion of our Lord. Sometimes we're using this week to simply um, look towards our sins and our shortcomings. And the fathers of the church have, of course, encouraged that this is the right way to treat this week in which, yes, we are reflecting on our weaknesses and our sins. And yes, we are reflecting on the suffering of the Lord but the focus has still been and always will be the resurrection. That that has, without the resurrection, we can't, we can't experience Holy Week in the way that it was intended for. Otherwise, it becomes more about ourselves or it becomes more about the bodily, simply about the bodily suffering of the Lord. But it is still that this week is a gateway. This week is a passage way in order for us to reach a, another point. So when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, there was a point of life at the end. And so Holy Week, of course, when they crossed the Red Sea, they knew that there was an end, or at least they had hope that there was another side. And so we come to Holy Week still looking towards the resurrection, not because we're going to eat steak at the end, but because we are going to experience the resurrection. We are going to accept something that um, we never thought would have been prepared for us. I imagine that the Israelites would not have imagined that, that the waters would split in order for there to be a passageway. And so we too 
look to the resurrection as something that we could not have imagined that we would have been offered such a gift. And so the Lord uses he the Lord used his himself as an offering as the passageway. And so I wanted to reflect on the gospels that we read this evening and how we can use the gospels what are the gospels teaching us so that we can use them as a passageway in order to meet with Christ on the resurrection because as we know that the resurrection is for those who call upon him the resurrection of eternal life is for those who have hope in him and have faith in him so the gospels give us this message and the first gospel from saint john <clears throat> speaks about being drawn to christ now of course in these gospels there are many things that are that are being said but i i thought to maybe just take something very short from each of the gospels and to use that as a highlight for what the gospel is is communicating to us and with the first gospel in in the gospel of john chapter 12 it is being drawn to christ he says i must be lifted up and when i do i will draw all peoples to myself i must be lifted up and when i do i will draw all peoples to myself that is to say that because he as as god and as man that by taking on humanity by taking on flesh that when he rises that we will be drawn to him again we cannot really experience the crucifixion if we don't have hope in the resurrection there's nothing meaningful about the lord um, this about a man dying on the cross or God without flesh dying on the cross but that it must be God who takes on man so that man can join him in the resurrection and so because of that we are drawn to him because of the resurrection we are drawn to him and then he he speaks to us about what is this eternal life how can I be drawn? And he says, well, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in the world will keep it for eternal life. So you see my resurrection. You see the suffering that must, which is the, the passageway for the resurrection, can only be achieved if, if I love that and not loving the world. And he uses the example of the, of the wheat grain that it must die in order to grow. And so there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of heaven in which the Lord promises us something great that we will never understand on this earth. And then there is the kingdom in which I look to the things that I care about in the world. And I believe that in this passage, I believe that Jesus is speaking maybe specifically to Philip. And the reason I say that is that Philip 
he he was clinging quite a bit to Andrew. Andrew, of course, was a disciple of John the Baptist. And, of course, we know that Philip came from the same town as Peter and Andrew. But we find that there's a relationship between them. And in the beginning, we find that Philip, instead of going to speak to Christ directly, he would go and speak with Andrew, who then Andrew would then go and speak to the Lord with Philip. So it was like he was reluctant to go to Christ directly. And even when feeding the multitudes, Philip, when the Lord Christ was asking Philip what to do in, in the situation that they were in, that they didn't have enough money to, uh, to buy food for everyone, who came in to save Philip? Who came in to answer on his behalf? It was Andrew. So there was a relationship that was happening there. But then we find that the life of Philip changed because we find that in the Last Supper, Philip, finally we hear that Philip spoke directly to Christ. He didn't use Andrew as a mediator. So now we sort of see this change in Philip in which he is now drawn to Christ through whatever experiences that he witnessed, that there was a shift in which he felt comfortable with Andrew because he was a disciple of, of John the Baptist. And of course, St. John had, his, had, had a particular way and they come from the same town. They have certain things in common. But then we find even more change that happens in, in Acts in which he was waiting for the Holy Spirit. He eventually was martyred for the sake of the Lord. He preached to the Ethiopian eunuch. He, um, of course, performed many miracles in, his in the tradition of his life. He performed many miracles and he baptized many people. So there was a transformation, a clear transformation that was happening in which he was relying on certain comforts. He was relying on someone else or something else, which happens in our spiritual life. Many times God uses people and things and experiences, uses them to eventually draw us to him. It's not that what, how Philip came to come to Christ was a bad thing, but it was a good thing that he was drawn to Christ, that he experienced something else to be drawn to him. The next gospel from St. Luke chapter 9 tells us about knowing the Lord. The Lord, he says, who do you say that I am? Some, they answered saying, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. And then the Lord says, well, who do you say that I am? And they did answer saying that you are the Christ, uh, the Christ, you are the Son of God, or you are the Christ of God. And I was thinking about another time in which the Lord would ask something of the disciples and how would they, how would they respond? Because the Lord, I think, many times was trying to find out 
he was trying to, without imposing on the will of, of the person, trying to, to see how, how do you understand me? What do you think of me? Which I, of course is very humbling of the Lord that he, he desires that we know him. And I thought of the time in which the woman who was bleeding and touched the hem of the Lord, and so he stopped and asked, who touched me? And of course, it, and when they couldn't find who touched him and they found that he, like, w the Lord was like, I want to know who touched me. And so the disciples, when everyone had denied it, Peter and those who were with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you and you say, who touched me? It's almost like diverting the situation. Like sort of covering up what was... Um, what, the, what was going on in the situation, the confusion of who touched, well, maybe let's, let's, let's move on. And I wonder if maybe there was something painful in the fact that when the Lord asked the, asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am, that they sort of stopped at saying, well, some say that you are Elijah and some say that you are John the Baptist. That they didn't say, well, it doesn't matter what they say. What matters is that you are, we know that you are the Lord. And so it wasn't until the Lord then extended another question of saying, okay, but who do you say I am? That they didn't offer that up when he, when he asked the first time. The Lord seeks for us to identify him. But of course, when, when sometimes for us, when people want to know our identity, we have a card that has our picture and has our address and this is our identity. So when we see each other, when we see each other's pictures, information, that can be an identity. But the identity that the Lord is speaking about is a different identity. Not just about his appearance, not just about him being a man among the disciples, but a different identity, a much deeper one. And so what are some of the criteria that we can think about which is part of this identity. We think we can read in the, in the next, the, the third gospel that we read tonight, which is from the gospel of St. Mark, chapter 10, speaking about the death of earthly integrity, the death of the, of, of the self, of the, of the fleshly identity, of the flesh, the fleshly identity. He says that he will be condemned and mocked, but he will rise from the dead. Of course, for us to be condemned or to, mock, to be mocked is something that's painful for us. It's hard to witness that on someone else, and it's hard to witness it for, for our own self. But this week allows us to see what life is like when we lose out on the promises of eternal life. We pray, you'll notice that when we pray the, the prayers during Holy Week, we pray outside of the sanctuary. And we do this because the, the Lord, he suffered outside of Jerusalem. So he suffers outside of Jerusalem in order for us to be holy by the shedding of his blood. And we also must suffer outside of our camp, outside of our comfort, our world, 
in order to be made holy. But he promises a heavenly Jerusalem. And so this is what we experience um, every liturgy. We are not even supposed to be in the sanctuary at all, to be near it. To suffer, to see what it's like to suffer, even without the presence of, of the Eucharist even, which is, we are reminded of that in the, uh, in the next gospel. But we feel this, we experience this deprivation. We experience a deprivation and that can be also a suffering. But sometimes we don't realize that it's a suffering until we actually experience it. And so we are called to be condemned and mocked and to suffer outside of Jerusalem. St. Paul, he says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And so we are called to reject the worldly measures. So there's an identity change, but to, to create a change in our identity, we have to use an, a different measure. The Lord is calling us to use a different measure. So in the, in the following gospel that we read tonight in Mark chapter 8, the Lord, he says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When the Lord would explain that he must die, they would reject this idea. And so he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. It's always been hard for man to be mindful of the things of God because we find comfort in the things of man like logic or um, material connection. Um, but with God, it's different. Even the body, of course. Sometimes we say, and I remember saying this to myself growing up, which is that if only, if only I had lived during the time of the Lord, because then the things that I am confused about or that I don't understand, I would understand. Because the disciples were like right there with him. And they got to experience the Lord firsthand. But then we find that it doesn't matter whether we lived in the time of the Lord Christ or we live 2,000 years later. And we find that very clearly in the readings, in the passages, because we pretty much find that the disciples are not aware of anything. The disciples, we find such humility in which they say, we don't really know what you're saying, but we know that you're true. We know that whatever you subscribe to, that that's what we want to follow. Because many times, even when I was mentioning about how Philip, he had, he had finally spoken to Christ directly during the Last Supper. And he said, well, can you, well show us who the Father is. And, and Jesus rebuked him. So it wasn't a very good interaction, even the, the first time that we, that we see that Philip spoke directly to Christ. But of course, they didn't care about whether they were getting it right. or They didn't care about, uh, well, I'm, I'm being rebuked or corrected. He said, just teach me. 
Teach me so that I can know you. Teach me how to reject the, the worldly measures. And so, the Lord, he showed even the disciples when the Lord, when the Lord would appear to the disciples after the resurrection. And, the, and no, one could, no one could identify who the Lord was. They speculated that it was the Christ, that it was Jesus, but they didn't know. Because there was now something different about his flesh. Now how they saw the Lord, for example, St. Mary Magdalene, she thought that, that Christ was the gardener. She saw him. She saw, she saw a man. But it did, it, she, she didn't know if it was until he said Mary. And this happened many times where he would do a miracle and they would say, is that, is that him? And they would be in, engaging with him directly and still saying, so should we ask him, like, is, is this really him? Because now it's, it's fair game for all of us in which after the resurrection, we all are going to look, we all are seeking the identity of the Lord aside from the physical appearance, aside from the flesh. So when this physical connection is gone, sometimes we feel, we feel lost. Sometimes we feel like everything was dependent on, dependent on that. And if we think about even COVID in the beginning, um, the, when, we, when all the churches were shut down, people had a couple weeks off and found, well, now I, I actually don't care about COVID because I need to take communion. We might come and take communion and we say, oh, I'm used to this. I'm used to this. There's something, there's something good about it. I'm not really sure what it does, but it's something that I, I think it's good to do. But then when we were deprived, when we were taken away from the Eucharist, then we felt like there's so much more to the Eucharist that I feel like my life fell apart when I wasn't taking communion. And it was almost as if we needed to all sort of find out what, what was missing it was like the disciples when the Lord was taken from them and they have that comfort and then now there was a new journey in knowing the Lord. And so we found that we still want the Eucharist, we still want, but now there's a new journey, there's a new perspective. There's a new way of engaging with the Eucharist. There was a new way of engaging with Christ that the disciples had experienced as well. So by appearance, it's bread and wine. Just like the appearance of the Lord was, was flesh and man. But then it turns out there's a lot more. So to do this, we are called to reject the worldly measures and embrace the spiritual things. Prayer, communion, suffering, 
obedience, all of these things that we are, is part of the spiritual life that sometimes we are confused about what they do and what they mean for us in our spiritual lives. We, we find that there is something deeper about them that I have to experience them for a long time in order to experience the spiritual part of the Lord, not just the appearance. And so he promises us that this is the life that leads to eternal life. This is the path, this is the gateway, this is the passageway that leads to eternal life. And so in the last gospel in, of Matthew chapter 17, he says, why could we not cast it out? This was the disciples when there was the demon-possessed man and they could not cast out the demon. And so <clears throat> the, they, took, they took him to the Lord who, who exercised the demon and the disciples. And it was actually a very embarrassing situation because they took, that, they took him to the disciples and they tried to cast out this demon and they couldn't. And so, of course, maybe they see that as some embarrassment or something. So they ask, well, why could, not, why could we not cast him out? And he says, because of your unbelief. And then he says that this kind cannot come out by prayer and fasting. I'm sure you heard this in the fraction prayer um, during all of Lent, in which we, we, we say that this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer and fasting. So when the disciples were rebuked, the Lord would teach them. They didn't leave. They didn't care about how subtle or how obvious the Lord was with them. Because for them, they were drawn to him to experience more with him, to know more. And so instead they asked, okay, what should I do? So this gospel or this experience inspires us to move past failures. The passage, the passageway is not an easy way and we will fail many times. I imagine that when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, imagine how much like the, the sea opens and you're in the middle and you're like, well, is there like a timer to this water? How much fear is, is in the hearts of the people? When you're running and all the adrenaline and maybe people are tripping and falling and, and trying to find their loved ones to make sure, well, are they going to make it with me? Or how many people didn't even have the, the, the ability to, to move very quickly? How did it work? What a very scary experience. But the Lord was the one who, who, who got them out of this slavery and was the one who was create, created this gateway. He created the gateway. This week is the passageway. It is the gateway. But because he is the one who opens the door for the gateway, he, he's the one who created the gateway, 
He's also the one that has the, the goal, the light at the end of the tunnel. He is that light. So when we go through this week, we are taking all of these elements that the gospel is teaching us to, to first be drawn to him, to let go of the comforts like Philip did with Andrew, to let go of that comfort and to start clinging to the one that, well, they taught me about him and I'm going to now experience my own life with this person. To then come to know the Lord, not by his appearance, but by his heart, the spirit of God. To be dead to the earthly integrity, to the earthly life, to reject the worldly measures, to use a new measure, a measure that is not about the, about the image or what is comfortable, but the spiritual things, the things that don't make sense in the world, like suffering, like obedience, like prayer, deep prayer life. And so all of those, they can be scary, they can make us feel lonely just as the Israelites experienced. But when we also remember to move past our failures because there is the resurrection, Again, without the resurrection, there is no life. There is no motivation to do anything. But because he is at the end, because he is the one who is the gateway and he is the one who is at the end, he, of course, will give us the strength that we need in order to, um, in order to cling now to him. So we ask that the Lord give us the strength to use this week as a gateway as a passageway to his glorious resurrection. To him be the glory both now and ever and unto the ages of all ages. Amen.